Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And my name is Sylvia, and I'm in kind of midterm recovery. Midterm recovery. <laughs> Sylvia, welcome. It's so nice to have you here, for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, just to, to clarify a little bit about last week and catch up a little before we move into today's topic, um, there was a wonderful post by Sobriety Matt on Twitter about our Step 9 cast and, and some great responses underneath of it. I'm not going to get into all those right now. But I do appreciate it. Uh, we also got a really nice message from Melissa on Facebook who um, said she just really appreciated what we're doing. And in her town, she's one of the, the elder members. But I think she said four or five years clean, and that's like the most in the area. Um, and she just said it was nice to hear people who, you know, she didn't know other people in recovery felt like she did. And then she started listening to us. And she's like, oh, my God, I feel like that, too. So it's always good to feel like... Uh, we're relating to somebody, right? Because sometimes I'm just like, maybe I'm just here and everybody else thinks I'm out of my goddamn mind. No, um, so we appreciate that from Melissa. And, and, you know, we want to delve right into the topic tonight because it's a, it's an interesting one for sure. So Selena had messaged us a while back and given us the idea. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of racial unrest in America. And she said maybe we should do a topic on racism and recovery. And you know, it, it's a delicate subject, for sure. It's one, uh, as a normative white gentleman, uh, I generally don't have the right to talk about too, too much, right? I, I, I'd like to be educated and learn, but I'm like, oh, man, we're two white dudes. How are we going to talk about racism and recovery, right? We're, we're not women. We're not, like, black. We're not uh, any minority whatsoever. And we're going to... So I didn't think we could approach that topic, and Billy agreed without having someone from a minority here to represent, right. you know, obviously not everybody's opinion, right. but at least some opinion uh, of somebody who's lived through some of these these things. And so that's where we got. We, we found someone we believe uh, can do that justice, and they are here with us. Now, just to kind of clarify a little bit ahead of time, um, I do want to say I think Billy and I both have some minor, I guess, understanding uh, of the struggle of what it's like to be a minority in mm -hmm. the United States. Uh, you know, some of the history behind it, some of the, unfortunately, it's not distant history. Unfortunately, it's yeah. still present. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the ideas of, of systemic racism, discrimination, things that I, I truly believe in my heart still exist fully in our entire life, right? I know not everybody agrees with that, but what I'm hoping to do here is just have a discussion, right? And I, and I kind of want to come to it from a place of 
ignorance, honestly. And I say ignorance not to be to be rude, right? Ignorance as in not knowing. Unknowing, um, exactly. You know, I don't even want to use the word uneducated, even though that technically is exactly what right. I'm talking about. But that sounds like a put down, yeah. and that's not what I mean. But I want you to know, I, I don't want to come from a place of ignorance in order to offend you or to uh, put you on the spot to explain things or, or, or you know, convince yeah. me that they're yeah. real. I already believe they're real. Yeah. I just kind of want to interject some questions that... Maybe a listener who's not so sure about all this might say, well, if that's true, then how about, right? They, sure. they might have those questions. And so I'd like to, us to try to come to some kind of answers or at least some discussion about that. Um, just to start off, I mean, if you don't believe that there's racism in recovery, you know, there's a, I, I got into this today with some people online. <laughs> Uh, we're a 12 step fellowship or a program and, and the program is all spiritual principles and it's all inclusive and, you know, get that racism and recovery stuff out of here. The disease doesn't discriminate. I agree. The disease does not discriminate. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, addiction, while it doesn't discriminate on a singular personal level, does discriminate on a national level when you look at the statistics of how it affects people in different ways. Um, going in further to that, you know, we know statistically just at the beginning of any recovery process, it's more difficult for people that are minorities to get into any kind of treatment, mm -hmm. right? People and minorities, we know through science, through data, through research, we know that like they don't have as much access to healthcare. They don't have as much access to sure. jobs and resources that have private insurance. So they're limited in places they can go. And so I think just starting there, it's like the data and evidence is there that we know from day one, trying to get clean, trying to get sober, trying to start a new life. There is racism right from the jump. Right. And so I think maybe you should take over here because I'm talking way too much <laughs> and just tell us a little bit about uh, maybe your story, something you, you have dealt with, maybe sure. some process. Sure. And I'll start with sharing my, let me just make this disclaimer, right? I don't speak for all black people, right? Um, my experience is just my experience because even though we may experience the same addiction, we all have our own personal interpretation and understanding of it, right? Um, racism is the same thing. You know, each of us as people of color experience the same thing differently, right? And I can share, you made a great point, um, the biases that exist and the discrimination that exists. And, and I find for me, the most dangerous type of discrimination is the type where people don't even know mm. that they have these unconscious biases, right. right? Before we started this conversation, you guys were talking a little bit about, you know, your experience at home, right? And how you grew up. That's got to impact you some way, right? So um, I grew up in Cecil County, right? And I experienced uh, racism from a little girl. In the neighborhood, we were the only black family in the neighborhood where I mm -hmm. lived in. It wasn't like a, a neighborhood where they were progressive. Right. It was not. So. Still not. <laughs> Probably still right? not, yeah. So I was called names on almost <laughs> on a daily basis, right? And as a kid growing up, you really don't know how to um, manage that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, your family, you know, at home, they say, well, you know, you are just as important as anybody else and no one's better than you. But when I go outside, right 
I get a different response from society. So, and you know, we were talking like, so we have recovery here in Cecil County, right? And we are a society within a society, whatever, you know, uh, modality that you choose to recover in. You're still a society within a society. So you, the same people out there are the people that are in the rooms, right? And sure, we have ideals that we would love to aspire to of equality and loving and caring, but still you have human beings, right? Right. So therein lie the problem. <laughs> so, so for me, it was difficult. And uh, it was challenging uh, in that being the only black person in the room all the time um, is difficult, you know, it just is. And trying to explain that to you or Billy is almost trying to explain to a non-addict what it is like hmm. to be an addict. Right. You might be able <clears throat> to understand the concept, but you can't really understand the experience right unless you live it so um sure there are uh some people that are very open-minded right and um even go to the extreme of saying some things like i don't see color but when we say we don't see color that's that's limiting the person because i am a woman of color and with that comes a lot of things right not just you know my station in American society, but you know, I we do have some sort of culture, even though you know most of it was robbed from us, mm -hmm. you know, through our history, uh, and we have a lot of barriers. And you talked about it, um, the challenges of getting into recovery. Well, guess what? Those are just things that we learn to live with, right? It's almost like we know that we have uh, barriers. It's just going to be the way it is, so we got to make it happen, right? We got to make it work. So. Uh, you both are from Baltimore City. You know, Baltimore City has a lot of recovering addicts. It also right. has a lot of using addicts, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Where's the neighborhoods that we go get drugs? It's in black neighborhoods, right? Yep. Those same neighborhoods have a lot of powerful uh, recovery meetings, right? The same places. So um, I can share from my experience, um, recovering here uh, in, in the Susquehanna area, um, had its challenges, but also it was an opportunity. And just like, thank you both for inviting me to do this because this is like, uh, I, I want this to be a place of healing, not just for me personally, but maybe for other people as well, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the position we have to come from. How could we, we know it's a problem, right? Um, those of us who do know it's a problem, but let's heal from this situation, right? Let's heal from this problem. And what better place to do it than in recovery? Right, where we do aspire to live with acceptance, right? Where we do aspire to have tolerance and understanding, right? So we can do that here and take it outside to the, you know, general uh, society. But <clears throat> for the most part, uh, I encountered a lot of loving and caring people that were willing to help me and they weren't of my color, right? But then I encountered a lot of other stuff too. So thank goodness, um, when I felt uncomfortable on those days, I would go to another area that was predominantly black. Mm -hmm. And it's almost usual for you guys to go to a meeting and you really don't think of it because it's all white, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's an all white meeting. Yeah. You don't even think like 
it's an all white meeting. Right. Right. It's just like society, you know, you know, because it's normal. Right. But when I go into a meeting and it's an all white meeting, depending on what I've encountered that day or depending on what type of memory I may have had, because, you know, um, uh, uh, this is uh, racism is traumatizing. Right. So we have a lot of trauma. How we deal with that trauma is individual. Right. And I happen to believe that church is really big in the black community because it was a way to probably deflect some of the trauma that mm. you had to live with. Right. So um, the religion was a place where you could find safety and um, some type of solace. Right. Because in society, you have to deal with so much shit. Oh, can yeah. I curse? Oh, yeah. yeah. You have to yeah. deal with so yeah. much shit. Right. And um, and I'm a, I'm 57. Right. So. Black people of my generation, well, I'm just going to say for me, I have almost a schizophrenic relationship with, with America, right? Because I came, I was born in a time I didn't even have a right to vote. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right? Every, every person that uh, seemed to uh, have a, a voice of the Black America and, and empowered us were assassinated, Right? So, uh, and then this Bill of Rights was passed. And so I, I had the opportunity because I lived in a white, uh, you know, basically white neighborhood. I went to a good school. So I got it. I had the advantage of getting a good education. Right. Um, and that's why I speak the way I do. So, uh, I'm not white. And so I went to an HBCU, which is a historically black college or university, right? Because I wanted to identify with black people. Because mm. I had been around all these white people all my life. I was like, I wonder what it is to be black, right? <laughs> right? Get some culture. Right, right, right. I want to be around my people. But then when I went to the historically black college, they called me a white girl. Because I didn't talk like everybody else, right? So it's like trying to find this place where you really don't fit in, right? And... um so I lost my point, but, uh, but yeah, so it's kind of a schizophrenic kind of relationship. So I, I, I didn't come from slavery, of course, but my, but slavery has such an insidious impact on African-Americans. Right. And you talked about it, Jason, earlier, like the systemic racism, it's everywhere. Right. It's in everything from getting a mortgage to your home where you're allowed to live. Now, nobody's going to say, you can't, well, maybe now, right? Right. <laughs> right. But um, <coughs> prior to this era here with with the Trump thing, right, uh, where uh, racism has just become emboldened, right? Mm. They weren't saying that, but there's so many ways within a system that marginalize you, right? But on the other hand, I was able to go to college, like, which was something that a lot of people didn't get to do. You know, just a generation before me, right? right? And um, and then I used drugs, so I fucked up my life for a long time, <laughs> right? But because I do live in the America that I live in, I've been able to um, garner some level of success, right? Socially or professionally, right? Which is a good thing, but at the same time, I deal with all these uh, microaggressions. Mm-hmm. at work so you know I happen to have a position where I'm part of a senior team 
and uh, everybody was white. So some days my trauma could kick up and I'm looking at everybody's with suspicious eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the slightest slight could be brought out of proportion in my mind. But still, I have to manage it, right? I have to manage it so I can still remain socially acceptable, right? So these are some of the things that you don't have to deal with, right? But some of the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So um, being in recovery and being uh, recovering in a predominantly white environment is different for every black person. I see some people who just assimilate very well, right? But assimilation has never been my thing, right? Because I'm proud to be black. I love black people, right? Not that I don't love white people. And a lot of people get that confused. Like to have black love, you have to be anti-white. That's not what it is, right? It's just being proud of who you are, right? Um, um, Just like the Black Lives Matter thing, right? So we say black lives matter because black lives do matter. But... America hasn't acted as if it's mattered forever, right. right? So now we're saying black lives matter now. People say all lives matter, blue lives. Yes, we're not saying that they don't matter. <laughs> right. We're just saying that we matter too because you've been acting as if we don't matter since we've gotten here, right? Um, one of the great analogies that I heard about um, in terms of that was like, so if one house on the block is on fire, you call the fire department, they're going to go put the fire out of the house, right? Does that mean that that's the only house in the neighborhood that matters? No. Right. But that house is burning the fuck down. <laughs> right? So yeah. it needs some help. It needs some services. That's all we're saying, right? Um, and uh, so... Uh, I don't even know what your question. Did you ask me a question? Uh, I'm just no, meandering just on. Yeah, I'm just, just meandering on. Share a little of your experience. About yeah, so... You know, recovering here in the Susquehanna area has been great, right? I've met a lot of great people, but I've also felt the exclusion Mm -hmm. as well. And then I've also felt, because Billy knows me, I'm very passionate about recovery, right? And I'm one that, you know, I love the literature. So when people were doing things that violated the traditions... I would get passionate about it. But then I would be the angry black woman. <laughs> Had I been a white woman, oh, no, she's just, you know, really, t- she knows her. Yeah. But no, I'm an angry, it's like this being dismissive of me, right? Because of the color of my skin. So those types of things. So I felt I had to go find solace amongst people of my color so I could be more comfortable in recovery. So, um, Thank goodness a small wonder area is close by, which happens to be where my home group recently was. And I go to Baltimore often as well. We actually, uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman, Richard, today, one of our buddies on Twitter. And he was saying he hasn't really uh, run into a lot of racism. He doesn't do particularly a 12-step program. Um, but so his recovery program is through a church and it's church based. So he said he hasn't, it's a very diverse area and he hasn't run into it. And I said, well, I'm, I'm happy you haven't, right? Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Um, but he did mention that the one thing that stood out to him was uh, black people tend to be very expressive and, and louder when they talk and passionate about mm-hmm. things. And he said, there's a lot of volume and inflection and sometimes it can be construed as aggression. 
And that's, I think, where these, you know, what you call the, the biases, where, where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. The ways we don't see it, where if a white person's check bounces, something must be wrong with the bank. If a black person's check bounces, it's because they're black, right? <laughs> right? If a white person's loud and passionate about the traditions, it's because they really love this program. Right. And if a black person does it, like you said, it's, it's an angry black person, right? right? And it's something to fear. And, and so these are the little ways in which we don't see, but that it exists. And that's kind of, I don't know that anybody's really done the study or, or, or the taking the time to really sit down and question these parts of a 12-step program. I understand the program itself I hope the program itself isn't biased. I really don't know that it's not, because honestly, it was written during a time where right. none yeah, of this was even being right, considered. Right, 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 right. right, so it might be in the literature too, right? <laughs> right. But I, I'm just, I'm dying to know if there's, I know the meetings have their own experiences, mm-hmm. but I'm dying to know if there's just ways that recovery operates that have some of these underlying biases in them that, that I'm not even aware of because I would never think about it. Yeah. And that's what I, I don't know that anybody's taken the time to do that or, or to really like map that out at all. But right. I, I'm, I would love to I don't to think know. we have either taken the time to do that, but I don't think it's necessarily biases. I think it's more of um, setting things apart, making them seem different. Mm when this the diversity that really makes us better. So I know when I go to mainly African-American meetings, I kind of like it because, you know, we're, like the speakers are really charismatic. Right. And then I go to some, um, you know, predominantly white meetings, it's just very monotone and it's fucking quiet. Right. You know what I mean? It's almost like going to a white church and a black church. I don't know if you've ever been to a black church, but it's like, you know, wow, you know what I mean? Very emotional. And then I go to a white church, it's like, and it's done in an hour. <laughs> right. It's like, I go, I like to go to white churches sometimes because I know I'm getting out. It's <laughs> on a schedule. Yeah, if you go to a black church, you're in there all day. Right. They're going to feed you and do some more, right? So, um, so, yeah, there's a difference in how it's culturally, there's differences, right? But that doesn't make us, um, I think that we need to be more inclusive. And you can have a preference without being biased. You see what I'm saying? Right. So my preference might be to go to an African-American, you know, meeting. Well, there's no African-American meetings, but predominantly black meetings. That might be my preference because probably because I'm black. Right. Right. Right? But it's not um, that I'm excluding the value of a white meeting, predominantly white meeting. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We're all recovering from the same literature. I don't think the literature, because I really do believe that those the people who wrote the literature were really guided by a higher power, right? It's miraculous. I mean, I think our literature is like a miraculous read. It's like, who wrote this shit? Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) They really had to be collectively guided by a greater consciousness, right? To write something that would allow a, a crackhead like me, smoke crack for a long, long time, right? And today I have 16 plus years clean. There was something about the literature that did it, right? So, um, somebody in that literature writing committee was getting high, right? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Because 90% of that shit is gold. Yeah. And then there's like 10%, and I'm like, I don't, that's what? (laughs) It doesn't even make sense. (laughs) But keep coming. It will. No, but really, so I don't think it's more of a, I don't think it's a bias. I think it's more of a preference. Right? right, and there's a difference between the two. Um, 
And it depends on how I feel any given day. Most days, it doesn't even matter where the message is coming from as long as I get the message. You see what I mean? Right. So that, that I don't know about you, but even, you know, being clean, you still have those moments of desperation where you just need to hear something that's going to heal you. You know what I mean? Something that's going to just touch me in such a way. And only we can do that. It doesn't matter what color we are, right? The world conventions are... The first time I went to a world convention... The people didn't even speak the language, but you felt it, right? Mm. You feel what they're saying. You, and every once in a while, they say shit or damn or something. I'm like, yes! <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right. Right. So it's the it's the feeling. Um, and, and I think um, in general, I'm not all the time, but uh, there's more feeling in uh, messages were delivered by African-American people, right? Because I think we have had, in society, we have no voice. Mm. And recovery is an opportunity for us to have a voice, yeah. right? And our voice matters, right? So just to feel like you matter is a big fucking deal when you're so marginalized in society, right? Um, so, yeah. So, I, you, you know, you spoke about being a minority in a meeting, and, and I... I'll never, I'll never know what it's like to be black, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's some way they could do special effects, like makeup on me, <laughs> and I can try it for a while. I, I don't know, but uh, I, having what I consider a similar experience, and I'm not trying to compare experiences here at all, or, or you know, put them on a level. Um, being state property a couple of times, and, and going into institutions where mm-hmm. I was greatly the minority, mm-hmm. and, and it's it showed, mm-hmm. and it's a whole different world for me. It was a, mm-hmm. it was very much a shock. Um, it's uncomfortable just being the minority, mm-hmm. period. Like, mm-hmm. nothing has to happen. Nobody mm-hmm. has to say anything mean to me or anything like that. When we're sitting at the lunch tray and, and, and I look around and, you know, there's six white people out of, like, 300 people, I'm like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. this is this is different. <laughs> like, I don't, right, I don't right, know right, this feeling. Right, right. And so, I mean, just that level of when you walk into a meeting in a, in a predominantly white area mm-hmm. and you're the only black individual mm-hmm. there. That's awkward enough, right? But to take that one step further, I know I have heard derogatory language in meetings towards sure. minorities. Yeah. Sure. Uh, have you ever been in a meeting where something was said? Uh, oh, absolutely. Oh. And here's the funny thing about this. Not just in a meeting, because, you know, we are society within society. I've experienced this both in and out of recovery. Um, people may know me, right? And be friends with me, Right. And when their uh, racial beliefs come out, they'll start talking about black people as if I'm not a black person. Mm -hmm. They'll say some shit like, yeah, that nigger. And no, not you, Sylvia. (laughs) That's what they'll do. Shit like that. I've had that experience outside, too. You know, where I was in in, um, military. You know, we were in training. And I would, you know, all these white guys and. And they're like, yeah, that nigger. And they're like, no, not you, because you're different. And I'm, you know, how do you respond to that? Because at that time, I didn't have a voice, right? So I kind of like had to smile. But see, all that is internalized traumas too, right? Those little things are traumatizing. So trying to manage that, it's, it's, um, it's weird. And everyone does it. Some people in my column will be like, (laughs) and think nothing of it because they're assimilators, right? right? They want to 
take on your culture because it's the predominant culture of America. You want to be able to fit in and get along yeah. and you know what I mean, all that. But at some point, it, it's a personal choice where you ask yourself, how much am I going to trade off? Right. When is enough enough? Right. And now I can go into a meeting, you know, because I have acquired through the program a level of self-worth and self-identification. Like, I don't even care. You know what I mean? I'm going into a meeting. doesn't even matter if I'm the only black person there. I've been the only black person there. I've been the only black woman there. I've been the only black female lesbian there. You know what I mean? Right. You know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it doesn't bother me. Okay. Amber had messaged us today um, and she, you know, thanked us for taking on this topic. And she had an experience. She said, wait on her for months. Uh, another member, a white male in a meeting she was in, did use the N-word in a mm -hmm. meeting. And when she approached some of her predecessors about it and asked about it, like what they were going to do or how they were going to, you know, act for it. Uh, they basically said principles before personalities and that there was no opinion on outside issues. And it just never sat right with her. And it's bothered her ever since. And so when I posted this today, she just she reached out and she said she thought it was a cop out to just say that and, and that everybody needs to be there. And she has, she said, a little less than two years. But in that moment, she kind of lost faith in the spiritual principles and teachings of our program, because if that's what the spiritual principles are about, she didn't feel connected to that. Right. And so, I, I mean, I really appreciated her sharing that because it. it it made me think, what would I do if that happened at my home group? Right. Or any meeting, but right. definitely my home group where right. I feel responsible for the atmosphere. And right. What, you know, it's like, what is the right thing to do in that? I, I would hope, I would hope that I would say, that's not okay to say here. Like, we don't, we don't do that. You okay. Know? But no, I, I agree with the uh, people at the home group. Do you? Because everyone has the opportunity to come in just as you are, right? And we can't moralize or... Uh, with people, right? And uh, that person may change over time. We don't know. Or they may not. But I'd much rather, me personally, now I'm not speaking for all black people, mm -hmm. I'd much rather you call me a nigger right here, as you know, if that's what you feel, as opposed to you feeling that way and not say it. Right. So now I know where this guy stands, right? No, seriously. No, and, well, and I've heard that before. Like you're you're better off knowing outwardly oh, who your racists absolutely. are than the ones that absolutely act nice behind your back. Yeah, or I mean, nice to your face. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I for me though, that may not be for everybody, right? But for me, I'd much rather know who you are, right, as opposed to you pretending to be something that you're not just because it's uh, politically correct. I don't think we have the right. Um, there's a difference between the program and the fellowship. Mm -hmm. Distinct difference, right? Mm -hmm. The program has spiritual ideals, but we're, we're human beings and we are both, at the same time, we're miraculous and completely fucked up at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So that guy may have been feeling something or experienced something that day. We don't know, right? But that's, he shared his truth. I'd much rather you share your truth than to... Uh, act as if you're something that you're not right yeah I, I completely disagree on this one I, yeah, and, and that, yeah you know yeah. we get to have different uh Absolutely. opinions i just to me it's 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 right up there with uh you know i can think of a guy who 
started a fight in a meeting at my home group at one point in time, and I asked him to leave. Like, you can't stay here. You can't punch somebody in the face right. and sit in my meeting. Right. We have rules and boundaries. Right. And to me, derogatory language of that nature is one of them. Like, no, you got to go. Look, I hope you get better in time. Right. <laughs> right. The right. same right. with the guy that punched the guy. Right. I hope these steps work for you, but you need to leave. But we also have not just our, you know, met sick, mentally racist, whatever. Right. You got sexual predators here. Exactly. You got pedophiles here. You know what I mean? Those people are in your meetings, and we all know who they are, the guy out sleeping mm-hmm. with everybody's wife and picking up all the newcomers and all that stuff. Nobody's running them out of here. Not anywhere I've ever seen. Well, I, and, and I'm not saying to run them out of the program or the fellowship at all, and I wouldn't run anybody out of the fellowship, but as of this meeting, if you're not going to respect our rules of you can't use that language, like if you say it once and we correct you, okay, that's fine. Yeah. But if you continue well, to, you need to go. And, and funny enough, like I had... Of all places, right here in Elkton, at the other well, meeting up there Tuesday night, there was a guy one time in the meeting made a racist kind of sharing and just yeah. overtly yeah. made a like overtly racist comment, and people flipped out, and a couple people wanted to beat right. him up right in the meeting right. and all that stuff. Right. You know, so I mean that happens. I don't think that like that doesn't fix the problem of racism in Cecil County. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean there's still not no. a racist crowd, but it did set. I guess you would call it like a. Expectation that that wasn't going to be tolerated right. in the meeting, but then again, you know we have traditions, right? Mm. And I, I'm sorry, but I know supposed to be nah, general way, but we have traditions, and there's a ninth tradition in the guiding principles. It's really wonderful, where we don't dictate how people share, right? That's not our place to do that. We don't manage. Like me, I cuss a lot. There's some meetings where um, they say in their prologue, no cursing at this meeting. Mm. And sometimes I'm passionate. I just, you know, and then the first thing somebody says, no cursing. So now I'm, I'm being criticized, right? Mm. Right. I'm being judged, right? So we don't want to, even no matter what he said, even if it's a racially biased uh, word or whatever, we don't want to criticize or judge because we don't really know how fragile anyone's ego is, right? And we don't want to say anything that will prevent someone from coming back. So we, even him. Mm. Even that person, I would, you know, from from my belief system, I would go up and give him a hug, right, mm. after the meeting. Because we have to learn how to love the oppressor in some type of way because the oppressor is a human being. And I understand that I am capable of anything human because I am a human being too. I may not fall short in that particular way, but I may fall short in a way that that's hurtful to someone else on that same level, but in a different arena. You see what I'm saying? So forgiveness is one of those tantamount principles that we, that we, especially as African-Americans have learned that we have to practice, right? Otherwise we wouldn't be able to function in society. I I, I hear you and I completely respect your stance, right? I I really, it's like a place to aspire to for me. I'm like, I ain't there. Fuck that dude, right? And you know what? Even in your position where you're, it's like, it's a, it's very, you know, uh, a touchy subject, but you're almost apologetic in your stance when you say some things, right? Even if it's like, you know, you don't have to apologize for fucking white America, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because you're a white person. Right. Well, you know? I don't know. Part of me almost feels like that is where we need to go, right? It's been so wrong for so long. Right. Yes, I didn't cause it. I get that. Right. 
But what can I do to help? You can change it. You're you know doing, I mean? you're doing, you're just like having this conversation is huge because we need to be able to, we need to be in a situation or an environment where we can have a conversation, even if we have differences of opinion, right? right? The prejudiced person should be in a conversation that we're having right now, right? Because yeah. I want to understand why do you feel that way? What happened to you, of course, is probably learned, right? Oh, yeah. But we relearn and unlearn and relearn shit every day, right? You talk about the trauma experience. That's My trauma is like bullying, like being bullied. And Mm -hmm. so when I see bullying, that's where my trauma response comes in. It's like, oh, no, you're not going to bully people. That's why I worked out, so I can try to come (laughs) over. (laughs) So that's a great point. It's sourced in something else, right? Yeah. Right. So, you know. Yeah. That's funny. Then people call me and they're like, hey, can you share my home group? We don't do cussing. I'm like, what the fuck you call me for? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can do that. I'm cold. At least one or two it's, is going to slip out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> and sometimes I'm telling you, Jason, I've been in meetings where they invited me to share. Matter of fact, it's great. They invite me to share. And because, you know, I do have experience, right? And I try to edit myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So you don't curve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then I always end up catching anyway, so, yeah. you know. I think it was, uh, I'm not going to say his name because I'll keep it anonymous. Not even his first name. But uh, a guy I heard speak a long time ago that, that used to say his message came out in no uncertain terms. And, he, you know, that was part of it. Like, he had to connect to people. And I believe that. Like, yeah. when I came here my first week clean, I didn't hear what nobody was saying except the cuss words. That was it. Exactly. It's the only vocabulary I knew. Exactly. And so that's who I speak to when I talk, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that, I, and you brought up the point, and I've thought about this more recently than ever because race is so prevalent in whatever, yeah. social media or yeah. conversations now. Yeah. And just how many meetings I go into, and there's one, maybe two black people in the meeting, you know, in this area. And... When you started talking about that, immediately what I thought, and I don't know, I hadn't thought this before, but how it would be to like walk into a meeting full of just all women, you know, if right. I just go to a meeting and it's all women. Right. And then, you know, I might be like, all right, I guess I can do this this one time. But then to think of that just being the norm, like how kind of difficult that might be to I mean, you would get something out of it. Not that women don't have a ton to offer sure. to recovery, but would, you know, what about like my experiences and stuff might be a little different. And <laughs> so when I, when I first got clean and it was before this time, I relapsed at one point, but oh. when I first got clean, uh, I had maybe six to nine months and I was being sponsored by a guy. He worked at a treatment center and we went into, you know, Baltimore city, which mm-hmm. is where we were at anyway, but mm-hmm. we went into another part of Baltimore mm-hmm. city, uh, for an anniversary for somebody that he worked with one of his coworkers. And we sat in that anniversary. It was three of us, the only three white things around. Right. And the guy shared about not the guy who was celebrating, but another gentleman shared stood up afterwards and shared about, uh, the white man and how he mm-hmm. was the problem and he was holding him back and all this. And I was like, Oh my God, we're going to get fucking killed in here. <laughs> like, I was like, we're done. This is it. Like they're, they're going to shoot us. Like, it, and it was highly uncomfortable. Right. For and so, you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Highly uncomfortable. yeah. 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 But, but most people in that meeting understood that that guy was just sharing his feelings and where he was at. Right. right? But, um, I don't know when, um, you, you were just saying, Billy, you went into an all-women's meeting. I know if I go to a predominantly black meeting, we don't really talk about black issues, per se. Right. We just talk about <laughs> right. the recovery, 
right? I go to a predominantly white meeting, they don't talk about white issues, they talk right. about recovery. So I don't know. Recovery has a has a has a theme that, you know, carries through every genre, right? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I really I just had this feeling that there's something underlying that I'm not seeing about it. Right. I, I would love to think that recovery everywhere. Uh, people come in, they get different ideals mm-hmm. and principles. And, and we know they don't do them perfectly, but that it's pretty welcoming for everybody. And I, I just had this feeling that there's like you talked about microaggressions. I feel like yeah. they're they're going on. And I'm just not aware of them. And I might even be participating in some of them and not know it. Yeah. And it's like, that's the, I really would love to just learn more. And, and, and maybe even, maybe I just need to talk to more and more people about it and keep asking and, and right. find out what they are. Yeah. I talk know. To, talk to some black people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, putting this on, online today, um, well, a story real quick. So I, I went to an expungement clinic in Baltimore at one point, a free okay. expungement clinic. I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to get these done for free. That's, you know, I'm cheap. Uh, right, right. And so we went over to an area I used to cop in. Uh-huh. Uh, I was right, <laughs> right by the, the strip. And I walked in there with my wife and the guy who was running the clinic said, oh, you're here for, uh, the lawyers are upstairs. Right. And I was like, Mother, don't buy you. Like you, you made me feel awkward. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so those, I just have a feeling those kind of things are happening. These little whatever they are, biases or perceptions, stereotypes, right? right? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that's going on. And, and when I was on Reddit today, there was a couple of gentlemen, um, one identified as Korean and another said he was Asian mm-hmm. and that in their areas, and I didn't find out what areas they were, they were in meetings, they tried them out and they just never felt comfortable. And they said, look, I wasn't sure if it was just the fact that I was Asian. I wasn't sure if it's the fact that I grew up with a completely different concept of God. And like they were force feeding church down my throat mm-hmm. all the time. And that's one of the things through reaching out to a lot of communities online. I'm learning like I haven't had that experience around Baltimore. People aren't really shoving church down your throat. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a lot of people believe in a Christian mm-hmm. God. But it's not really force-fed to mm-hmm. you whatsoever. And so I, I'm like, oh, well, that must be recovery everywhere, right? It's just open. You can do whatever you want. But apparently a lot of, maybe it's the Midwest, maybe it's, you know, the yeah. South, who knows. But mostly they're saying Jesus, basically. Yeah. And, and so he was uncomfortable, right? And, yeah. and that bothered him. And I, I think there's things like that where like, oh, we assume, you, you know, everybody has this God or we assume everybody does this or this and that's just not the case, and a lot of people are feeling left out. Well, I don't think that has anything to do with race. I think that has to do with culture of the area, the recovery area. Because I can go to a lot of Baltimore meetings, and they're and they're adamant about it. you've got to have a God. And my sponsor told me you need to get a God in your understanding. Where our literature says you don't have to believe in God at all, right? right? You don't have to believe in God, but depending on the culture of the recovery community, right? Um, you know, it could be more open where, you know, a lot of different, it's eclectic where people from all faiths go and they don't really talk about their God. But I've been to a meeting in Perryville and the guy talked about Jesus. Talked about Jesus. I'm like, well, you can't really do that. (laughs) (laughs) But this guy had a lot of clean time, right? Mm. And happened to work in the field. So had a lot of people, that's the dangerous thing because he has he had prestige Mm. so the newer members are probably looking at him yeah that's the way i need to go to get that time but you don't have to so we got to be again the traditions 
keep our fellowship alive and free, right? They really do. So, yeah, you can feel uncomfortable. I don't think it's anything to do with, I could just feel uncomfortable if I go to a, a old black lesbian meeting. I might feel uncomfortable just because I have the disease of addiction. Right. And it says, you're fucked up today. You don't fit in. You don't matter. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. Absolutely. I, I guess one of the things I'm cautious about is to, uh, and, and I tried to do this at one point, I, I took a class about discrimination in Baltimore, specifically mm-hmm. when I was in college, and I, I loved it. It was well right. taught, learned a lot of stuff in there. But uh, it was one of those not my finer moments where... <laughs> I say not my finer moments, right? It was, I didn't know. Yeah. And I was trying to make a point and it was a learning experience for me. Sure. Right. Um, but I was trying to make the point that, you know, everybody's life is hard. So they were saying it's hard to be black, right? Mm-hmm. Well, everybody's life is hard. Mm. And I've heard this so many times mm. since. And I'm like, God, I sounded foolish. Right. <laughs> I'm like, everybody's life is hard. So maybe we're just all deciding that it's because of this or that or the other. Uh, right. I say my life's hard because I from the city and whatever. Right. My right. father didn't make a whole lot of money and never drove or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, just weird things. Right. But I don't necessarily believe that today, right? So I'll say, yeah, everybody's life is hard, but some people, you know, we talk about the 100-yard dash and everybody has to run it, mm-hmm. but some people are starting at the 90-yard marker. Mm-hmm. Some are starting at the 50-yard marker. Mm-hmm. Like, my life is hard, but it's never been hard because I was a minority. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I don't want to explain away and say that everybody's got it just as bad just because they're addicts right and i'm Mm -hmm. not trying to contradict what you're saying but like just because i'm an addict and i can feel uncomfortable somewhere i don't have to question is it because i'm black Mm -hmm. right is there actually something going on here to make me uncomfortable or is it just my disease of addiction i feel like that almost makes it twice as complex right because i can go in and say oh i'm not comfortable here because i'm a goddamn addict and i just feel weird inside right I don't have to say, well, is it me? Right. Or is it this group of people that is making me feel uncomfortable? Right. right. So we have those, as a, as a black person, you have the, as a black addict, you have the internal isms and you have the external isms. So you have to deal with both. And it's not to say life is hard for everybody. Right. I don't, you know, there's no one exempt from, you know, life, Right. So, but um, it can be challenging for everybody, but some people have privileges that just are innate that I don't have, right? Right. But it's not to say that I can't achieve the same things as many people, as you know, my life has shown that I can, right? Um, I don't, and I can't say, I, I had the benefit of getting a good education. A lot of black people don't have that. Like, I went to Perryville High School back when they first built it, right? I don't know if Billy knows, but back in, uh, I went through that when it was a brand new school. So we had a really good school. A lot of people in the inner cities don't have (laughs) the the advantage of getting a good school, but they're black just like me, right? But um, I've had those advantages, right? Where many, like, like, as I was saying at the beginning, like, everyone's experience is different. Like they have barriers that they have just because they didn't get the benefit of a good education. Some people are coming out of high school can't even read. Yeah. Right. It's real. That's, that's part of, that's part of the racism that we're talking about. Right. The resources aren't there. Right. The resources go to the privilege. Mm 
because they're paying the tax base, right? Why are black people paying the tax base? Because of the systemic system that took all, took all the jobs out of the black community, right? right? So there's no jobs there. Why are there so... Here's a here's a prime example that I tell my kids all the time. You go through a white neighborhood. Matter of fact, where I live, I live in a white neighborhood. Right. I don't see any Newport signs. I don't see any gin, Smyrna, vodka signs, <laughs> billboards. I don't see any of that, right? Mm-hmm. But you go to the inner city, every other billboard is a cigarette or a, a liquor billboard, right? Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Well, I mean, I can... <laughs> It's discrimination, oppression, and racism, which right. has been it's, full it's, of it. It's part of the systemic racism that we deal with. Now, if you if I grew up in that neighborhood, that's all I saw. Well, that's all I know, yeah. right? I don't know. And am I going? If if you were to take me out of that and then transplant me into where I live, like, will I be able to survive? I'm outside of my familiar environment, right? right. It's almost, you know, like. I hate to bring this up, but I will bring it up because I think about it sometimes. You know, we had slavery, right? Mm-hmm. Slavery. Okay, so emancipation came. If all you've known is slavery and they set you free, give you no direction on what to do right. or how to, is the majority of them going to be able to come out there? No, most of them are going to become sharecroppers as they did. Which was right? legal slavery. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. So some of them had the courage to say, we're going to figure this shit out, right? Right? <laughs> right? But that was only a small percentage, yeah. right? So the whole system, we just need to be honest about it, right? Mm-hmm. See, what we're dealing with in America is a, a great lie. Hmm. America was never the home of the free. Right. Never the home of the brave. Right, it was it was home for people, white men who would own property. If you own property, then you had a right to vote, right? Mm-hmm. When they said in um, <clears throat> the uh, 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 Constitution, you know what I mean? It's all fuck a bunch of lies. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest about that. Instead of living on this non-existent virtue of this is what America is, no, America has never been that. Right. Let's deal with what it is, and I think right now. We're coming to a place where we're having to face our truth, right? I don't think that this whole uh, Trump era is a bad thing. I think it's really showing us who we really are. Hmm. And it's not a pretty picture, right? And it's interesting in the last few years, like, and just, I, I like a lot of podcasts. We talked about this. Sylvia doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts. I love podcasts. Right. <laughs> That's all I listen to. And there's a couple. One, um, it's actually called God's Socialists, and it's about Jim Jones and what his early days, what he did for the black community, mm-hmm. and it then it goes into the uh, diatribe of history about like the black struggle and, and things like that, and they explain how, and this is stuff like I never knew, you know, you think, oh, the North, it's always been free slavery, you know, they were all about emancipation, <laughs> but what you figured out is they wanted emancipation you know for the slaves but it more was like a political thing it was more a monetary thing sure and when a lot of the you know black freed slaves left and went to the north and went to these cities chicago and Mm -hmm. philadelphia and new york they were not welcome there they were 
abused and beat and pushed out and they said well glad you're free but you can't be free here and right. you know it was it wasn't this great oh welcome you know we love you come, right. Right. come share with it's us it's almost like that phenomenon not in my neighborhood right yeah i want it but it's not in my neighborhood and just you know growing up just whatever the predominantly white public education system you're just taught oh yeah the all the North, you know, wanted to free all the slaves, and they were great, and they were all about freedom. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> like, that's no. only a tiny piece of the story. Right. And know? that's what it is. We we get these half-truths, right? And then they and they, they have outright lies, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Our, uh, the history books that I read, U.S. history books I read, full of lies. Yes. It's full <laughs> of lies. But... You know, because it's been taught for so long, they want us to buy in like that's true. It's not right. true, right? America was based, really built on genocide, right? Genocide yeah. and slavery. That's yeah, who that's we destiny. are. Come on, let's just say it. That's who we are as America. But knowing that, living in your truth. I mean, we start from that, you know, in recovery. We have to own our truth, right? We have to be honest about who and what we've become. This is yeah. what I'm... I'm fucked up, right? <laughs> right? We got to say, like, I'm fucked up. But then the road of recovery is available to us after we admit that. I think we have to come to that same impasse as in America, right? And it all starts with us, right? So teaching our children what the truth is, right? It really does, right? And teaching our nieces and nephews, right, what the truth is. And then we could grow from there. But as long as we try to live, continue to live on this lie, and try to make the lie the truth, that'll never work. So the U.S. needs a 12-step program. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I can understand True education. That. Well, and just I'll, I'll plug another podcast. There's another podcast to listen to. It's called Nice White Parents. And it's about, you know, I guess up in New York, you can kind of pick different schools that you get yeah. to in certain areas. You're not assigned to a school. Right. And so what will end up happening, you'll have some of these, like, predominantly black and brown schools and you'll get a couple of uh, nice white parents mm -hmm. that want to come in and, and fix the school. And they'll get a group of other white parents. And then they come in and they will, in the nicest intentions possible, sort of trample over the people exactly. that have already been in that school for six, eight years. Exactly. And just start taking over shit. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. And what that, because it's assimilation, mm -hmm. right? And I talked about it, like. Our way is the best way. Yeah. If you just do it like we've done it, you'll be fine. Just negating altogether that we, as a people, have a whole identity, a whole yeah. culture of our own. No, you can help, but help us build ours. You know, and, and also for Black America, it's, it, we've come to a place where we have to stop asking white America to help us. Fuck that. You think? Yeah. Because basically, we have a $3 trillion uh, uh, wealth within our black community. It's just that we are so broken. We are so broken that we don't even contribute to our own well-being, right? Because hatred, marginalization like not being valued has been internalized so deeply it's become cellular you see what i mean and i watched it there's a documentary or a series whatever a reality show whatever you want to call it on netflix about that and i can't remember the guy who does it off the top of my head but uh 
He's a black guy, and he wants to go out and spend all his money in the black community. Right. Give some statistics on how quick, like, a dollar stays in oh, the yeah. community. Oh, yeah. Oh, How like, quick it goes oh, out my, of the community. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, the rapper. Yeah, Mike, the rapper. Yeah. Mike, Mike yeah, from yeah, Atlanta. Yeah. And yeah. so he oh, goes God. around okay. through... No, no, no. no. Um, He's a big but guy. you can watch it. Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. It and is so he awesome. goes into these different cities and he tries to like keep Buy his black. dollars in the black community right. to find black grocery stores, black right. you know restaurants, black whatever he needs, a haircut, you know whatever. Right. And how much of a challenge that he runs into trying to do that before that money you know ends up in the white community or, exactly. or just outside of the black community and the statistics says that the the a dollar stays in the white community like not even a day yeah like hours yeah the, yeah like, the black community was and, it, hours, and it stays yeah. in the white community for like a couple months or something yeah it's he gives the statistics in that and it's like you think wow, yeah that's incredible did you see he went he actually find a he found a muslim owned uh grocery store yeah he oh, bought yeah. beans but he couldn't open the beans because he couldn't get a can of them. <laughs> you know I, mean? I don't remember that, that but yeah, so it's, that's the kind of challenges yeah. that he runs into because it's like, you know, trying to find all the resources yeah. you need in the black community. Yeah, it's, I can imagine. It's pretty, but those are things, like say, just growing up, you know, my parents weren't like overly racist or anything. They never shielded us from any sort of black people. I just never, you know, we grew up in the city. We grew up in mm-hmm. Hamden, which is a predominantly white neighborhood. Yeah. I did go to a private Catholic school when there was some black kids in there. Mm-hmm. One of them was my best friend, and, you know, I would go to his house. But they were, I don't know, probably more whiteified than, right, you know. Right. It wasn't like black culture. They were right. going to a private Catholic school. Exactly. So, you know. Exactly. Like, exactly. But, um, but I had been to his house, and, and it seemed more like my house than anything. Um, and it wasn't until probably in the last 10 years that just getting into liking history and listening to, like, history podcasts that are based more on reality than they are on what you learned in history mm-hmm. class and then hearing some of these stories or hearing like there was a, a guy talking uh wood i can't remember his first name anyway he was a a police officer in baltimore and he mm-hmm. was explaining he's a white police officer but he mm-hmm. was explaining some of like the racism and how that right. works and the the historic redlining, like they oh my had gosh, all these documents didn't, with not like even redlining, about redlining. Yeah, with, so, with they just wouldn't let black people live in certain neighborhoods. Like you just gotta stay. Or neighborhood. the neighborhoods <laughs> that they allow them black people, it's still redlining is still still here and alive today. So yeah. predominantly black neighborhoods have been redlined, right? And I can take Philadelphia for instance, right? And now since they want to gentrify those areas, right? The black people that live there can't get money to upgrade their homes to sell it because right. they could sell their homes if they were able to fix them up for, you know, like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, but they can't get the mortgage, right, to up because it's redlined. But when gentrification when they go in and buy the house, it's like when white people go, it it'll become totally different. Yeah. Right? They'll rezone the whole thing. So that the money becomes available. This is just part of what yeah. you have to deal with. And you try not to, like, anger will only destroy me internally, right? So you try to find a way not to be angry at this shit, right? <laughs> right? Uh, so you can have some peace. But then it's like something every day. Yeah. And then, well, even, and now I'm going to just try to anger you more. 
But then learn, and it's all stuff like say, just growing out. Like I was fascinated, and even as white, like I'm shocked and was like appalled. Like, I this know, shocked and appalled, big too, Billy. And uh, but then that's the, the school systems. A lot of these schools are based on the tax dollars of the houses, and you can't get the money in the community to fix the houses or bring in businesses. So, you know, half the houses are vacant. So the school system is drastically underfunded because Holy you know shit. that's what the school system's funded off of is exactly. your in, you know the property taxes. And since the property tax is so low, no money goes to the school, and it's a yeah, you, it's a you domino stick effect. People in a cycle, and then. You know, drugs and crime seems to be a better opportunity out than trying to work in this broken ass you know, exactly. system that you're stuck in. Exactly. It really is a domino effect. So, you know, and then someone comes along and says, well, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I don't have any boots, how can I pull myself up right. by my bootstraps? You know what I mean? It's just, it's it could be overwhelming. But then again, like I said, like I've been very fortunate, you know, um, even though uh, I, I still feel the effects of it. I'll give you an example. So I'm 57, right? So when I was watching TV, this is something that never occurred to me until I was older, right? I Like Leave it to Beaver like was one of my favorite shows. I Dream of Jeannie, one of my favorite shows. Uh, a couple other ones. But I didn't even realize there were no black people mm. in those shows until mm. I was older. So psychologically... It had an impact on me. I didn't even know it. I was completely unaware. Like, I'm invisible, right? Like, do I really <laughs> do I really live in America? I'm not only with the people, right? And then when the Cosby Code show came, it's like, yeah, he's our hero. And then he turned out to be a serial witness, <laughs> right? So, 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 you know, it's always something. It's well, always... I didn't know that back in the 80s. Everybody no, loved him back then. It, yeah. And then it was such an unbelievable. He was a doctor. She was a lawyer. You know, like, yeah, no, my dad's a steel worker. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right. But, yeah. So to, to get just a little bit back into and and I'm, oh, I'm enjoying sure. the conversation for sure. You were yeah. talking about assimilation, right? Yes. And I'm I'm over here pondering like maybe that's why there's not as much feeling of racism in recovery in, in, in a meeting per se because our program is kind of all about assimilation at least early on. It's it's all about like uh, hey come be like us stop doing what you're doing stick with us for ninety meetings in ninety days you know mm-hmm. start to change everything act like, right. Right. Yeah. right change everything you do everything. Right. I mean there's the old you know right. brainwashing people right. say we're getting brainwashed here and maybe we need it and all that great stuff yeah, but sure. is that why it doesn't seem like it's there's as much racism is that why maybe coming in when your whole life has been a disaster right. and you're at the bottom and you're like you know what i just need something that works to help me mm-hmm. live please you're more willing to just go with the flow and it doesn't feel you don't have to think you're not there's a bigger focus right then right the focus right. is jesus christ let me live without going to cop every five minutes let me live yeah that's how i came in i just wanted to live without intentionally killing myself every day right so when you're at that level of desperation you don't care what hand is feeding you as long as you're getting fed right you don't even see the hand you just see the bread right just getting something right and it's not until you really begin to mature emotionally spiritually mentally right that you really become to really understand yourself right understand who i am as a as a person basically, as a human being, because I wasn't even 
I was living on an animalistic level, right. for a long time, right? <laughs> you know, instinctually just living, yeah. right? So who am I as a human being? And then you discover like, oh yeah, I am. I'm an African-American. What does that mean? You know mm. what I mean? Um, how do I internalize that, right? How do I really embrace that, right? So, and that's where I, that's where I started to seek out people like me in recovery because I can't come to you, even though you very loving, caring, and willing to help. You can't help me embrace my my Af- my blackness, right? right? You can't do that. So where can I go, for, so people can understand when um, the bitch on the Zoom meeting, um, you know, is uh, doing this macroaggression shit, microaggression shit, and who can I go share that with? Where somebody could, yeah, me too. You know what I mean? You can't do to me too. You were like, oh yeah, Sylvia, I really feel, yeah, that really sucks. Right. But I need a me too. Let's go find it. I know it sucks. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But I need a me too. Like, yeah, you feel that? Right. You know, no, 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 no. Right? So, yeah, um, that identification. The yeah. identification. Yeah. Right? So, as I matured, for me, I went to places where, you know, people looked like me. Right? People had some of my same similar experiences because it is, it's a different level. It's almost like a special interest group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like if I go to a gay meeting, sometimes they talk about gay shit, right? And most times they talk about recovery. But, you know, if I go to a, a like my sponsee group, I can tell them about, you know, what happens on the job because they are professionals too and they've experienced some of the same shit, right? Dealing with people. Like, uh, for instance, we have these Zoom meetings in this, you know, virtual environment now. And when my white colleagues bring up an idea, the white people are like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. But when my director, my AD, he's also a black man, he brings up an idea and it's like questioned and it's analyzed and mm. it's picked apart. Uh-huh. And, but they don't see that, right? right? But I do. So I get off the meeting, I'm like, damn motherfucking bitches. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But I gotta make my I gotta make myself uh I gotta find a way to be okay because I like the checks that they give me. Right. So am I one of those sometimes I ask myself this question, uh, Jason and Billy. Am I one of those people that will be willing to sacrifice it all for the greater good? Hmm. Most days I say no. Yeah. It's a big question. It is. It is. But it's going to come a time where we have to ask that question of ourselves, I think. I think you're right, too. I I mean, I I remember back when a guy said, you know, he just shared about the concept of am I all in, right? Just for recovery at that moment in time, but am I all in Mm -hmm. on any given day? And like most days, I can't say that I'm all in. I'm like, eh. I dabble. My toes are in. Right, like, right, maybe right. my ankles. But right. I, I got other shit going on that has my right. my focus right now. Right. Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. Right? Whatever that may be. And right. so to think, can I sacrifice it all for the greater good? Right. I, I don't know. Right. And my significant other, she works for Princeton University, right? She does very well, too. And I, we, we talk about it all the time. that like we would not, unless we really had to, you mm. know, to be sacrifice our way of life, for the greater good. 
Yeah. Right. Well, so you talk about some history and, and how all our history is false. What I did enjoy was uh, my college level history classes because yeah. I got some reality there. Yeah. And it was very eye opening right. to learn all these real truths. You know, the Revolutionary Wars, mm-hmm. like rich white guys that are pissed off their tax money is being taken, honestly. And then they, they get this propaganda and they sell a message of this is what we want that people can get behind. But the revolutionaries, generally, what they taught us there aren't people who are older with children or established or ha- living comfortable lives. Like, revolutionaries are the young people sure. because they don't have anything to lose, sure. really. Sure. Right. right? That's just the sure. way it goes. Like, right. once you start getting things to lose, you got to really second right. guess. Like, yeah. I don't know about that anymore. Right. And you've already figured out the system by then. You know how the system works. You're right. functioning in it. Yeah. You know, if you're succeeding in it, right. <laughs> you yeah, don't want to yeah. change it if too you, much. Yeah, <laughs> but if you're not succeeding, then you're like, yeah, let's tear this, let's burn right. this let's bitch burn down. down. Yeah. But I'm like, no, you burn it down, I won't get paid then. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. right? So, so it's the younger people that are really um, going to have to, um, in, in all areas, like global warming, yeah. we're lying in that, that right fucking universe <laughs> right. cave in on us yeah. but we're like no it's not it's not true yes it is right right you look at memes no, no the, the memes Sometimes. and pictures i just picture that dog with the fire going on around him or whatever and he's like it's okay yeah. <laughs> right, right 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 so and we have a lot to uh really come to terms with right and racism is a big piece of it right but right now the country is at uh you know a high level of unrest yeah. right so um which side am i going to be on you know what i mean as a as a black person who's kind of you know been able to you know meander through and become acceptable uh i got to pick a side mm. you know but uh each day you know you kind of just like go to work come home go to bed get up go to work come home go to bed so you know i don't know so you're a, you're a black woman who got clean in a white area yeah. and started venturing out yeah. to maybe some meetings that reflected you more personally. Yeah. Uh, I spent some of my recovery time in the Dundalk area mm-hmm. where every so often there's some black man or black individual mm-hmm. who comes into the neighborhood into a recovery house and they're like the black person in the neighborhood. Right. Not the only one right. usually, right. but no, no. it's very slim pickings, right? Yeah. At some point in time, and, and, and I don't want to say they say the right things, but they they do what needs to be done. They mm-hmm. get time. They share about how they appreciate how much they've been accepted, right? And I don't know if that's by everybody or just by the people that talk to them. Maybe there is half the meeting that goes out and talks about them afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they are the, the not-to-the-face yeah. racist, right? But over time, what I notice is they go back to a black area and get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Then they go back to a black area and get a network. Mm-hmm. And, and so, do you find that that's more just for the comfortability uh, of being around your own? Or is it is it something that's missing? I think it's just human nature. Right. You know, they did this cafeteria experience, they, they called it, right? The lunchroom experience, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, the whole class goes into the lunchroom. You naturally gravitate to the table of people of your likeness. Mm-hmm. It's just natural. It's human. It's human to do that. And it's not to say that, you know, I used in a city... I lived in a city. So I started, you know, the practice of not using <laughs> right. long before I got clean this last time, right? So um, it's I had been going to beatings of color the entire time since 2000, since 1989, right? right. I didn't get clean till 2004, right? 
So it's not like those areas were foreign to me, right? I just happened to, this is where my mom lives. So, you know, I, I was homeless. So I came back to my mom's house. So this is where I recovered. My sponsors were from here. You know, I had, you know, wonderful white women to be my sponsors, right? I was going to ask that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, but but eventually, like I was saying, during my my period, my journey of maturing, right? Coming into some identification, self-identification of who I am. You know, I went around people that looked like me, mm-hmm. right? That kind of like felt like me that identified like me, right? Just, it was, I think it's human nature. Interesting. Now, so, um, let's take like military culture. So like a military culture. Racist. Are they racist? Well, (laughs) what was it going there quite yet? Oh, hell yes. So, um, well, I just meant for the, like a challenge of recovery, like in the military you know, there's a, you can't admit like a weakness, you can't admit a fault. Oh, yeah. So in that culture, you know, it makes, like, that's a challenge for people to get into recovery. Right. Are there any, like, challenges, like, maybe specifically in the black community oh, that would create barriers? Absolutely. Obviously the health insurance right. and having insurance and access to treatment. Right. Um, many uh, cultural things or... Many people um, from black families will tell you that, you know, um, First of all, which what goes on in the home stays in the home, so you don't go share your business. You know what I mean? So that was like a departure from what I grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. Like sharing what's happening in my life because, you know, we, we, we learn to keep secrets, right? So coming into an environment where it says, no, share how you feel. <laughs> right. I don't even your mistakes. Know, I don't even know how to articulate my feelings. I have feelings. You mean I have feelings, right? So uh, it took me a long time to even learn how to articulate what I was feeling because we've been oppressing them for so long. And then it's like, don't ask anyone for help, right? So that's another barrier, right? Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot of cultural barriers within our community. And then the mental health thing, you know, we've always had crazy people, but, you know, we never got rid of, or they never went anywhere. They were just crazy in the back room. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? The they come out yeah. talking to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's uncle so-and-so. He's just crazy. Right? But no one sought mental health treatment. Yeah, right? white people lock them up in a, in a hospital somewhere. <laughs> right, right, right. So even going to seek mental health uh, treatment is like a big deal. It's a departure from the norm for us, right? So, um, So seeking help there's a lot of black people that use every day and use every day for years but don't even consider getting help in Narcotics Anonymous. Yeah. Very well, normalized in the community. Yeah. Well, and I think about even even like outside of Narcotics Anonymous, there's some of the work, you know, through Voices of Hope is mm-hmm. like community outreach and trying to connect people to resources. And even if you can get them into whatever, like a maintenance or anything, just yeah. get, them, get them to stop using Um you know, I know there's a really low percentage of black or brown people in our meetings here, obviously, in our recovery meetings, but it's definitely not representative even of the community. I know there's it's more not. black and brown people in this community that are using and struggling. And, you know, I guess, are, can you think of any good ways to reach out to those communities? You know, not just through Narcotics Anonymous. I mean, I know some of the things that Voices does, they do community walks. They send people just to go walk through different neighborhoods, right. talk to people. Hey, how you doing? What do you need? Right. You know, do you need some stuff? 
you looking if you need to get into treatment, we can help you out. You know, they do different harm reduction stuff. And it might be that when we see a white person coming into the community that we're suspicious of that person. You know what I mean? Uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to tell on us? Are they going to bring the cops here? You know what I mean? Because every white person is a yeah. cop. You're a cop! <laughs> well, and, and typically, so their, their approach typically is to find a person that lives in that community okay. to go with them, at least in the beginning, and then if okay. they can keep that person engaged on. Okay. You know, because just that, you know, yeah. you just don't want to send two, you know, sure. happy, smiling white people into sure. someone because they go into the bad neighborhoods. Right. And they aren't just, you know, black or brown neighborhoods. I mean, we got some pretty oh, bad yeah. white neighborhoods. Yeah. Let me tell around you. here too. <laughs> Since I've gotten clean, I don't go into some black <laughs> No. But it's it's a but that's a great question. And I think um the the solution is more complex. Um because there of course there's going to be hesitation when um an outsider comes into the neighborhood. Because why are they coming into the neighborhood? You know, there's a, especially you go into, I'm not going to say, I don't, you know, I love my brown people, right? But many of them aren't, um, don't have paperwork, right? So they're not going to be forthcoming with anything, you know? Right. So that's, that's a, that's a challenge, right? But it's a, something to think about, really. Yeah. And, and so far, so some of the, um, it seems like from the black community, the people they've been able to connect with so far, and it's been few, are mostly uh, been through churches or Christian yeah. groups. Because there's a lot of good people in churches and Christian groups sure. that just want to help people. Right. Even especially, they see addiction and how it's rampant in some of these communities and in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been, I guess, trying to make that connection, like with the... the and of course, maybe because they're not fucking here in Cecil County, but like the black recovery community right but i guess it just ain't enough i know people. and there are yeah. there are a few black people here but many yeah. of them are transient right they're just coming through they don't stay long yeah. right um i don't know um and then you know you feel uncomfortable if you're like the one black person that's native to this area and then they want you to like i'm not uh captain save a ho you know what <laughs> right. <I'm saying? laughs> You know, right. I understand the plight, but shit, <laughs> right. I got other shit to do. Right. No, <laughs> no, but seriously, it's like it's it's a because you know the cultural barriers that are there. A lot of people don't believe in Narcotics Anonymous. They don't even know anything about it, but they's like that shit don't work. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Crossing that divide is it's a it's I don't know. People are trying. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's you all you can do. Throw, is throw the rope out there. Yeah, all you can do is continue it. to try. Yeah, we're we're getting towards the end of our, our time in this discussion. Um, this what has been a, a great discussion. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it for sure. I guess a final, maybe a wrap up question I'd like to know is, what can I do moving forward? Right. What what can I do? to be more welcoming and inviting or, or to maybe just create an atmosphere that doesn't make people second guess if they belong there. What can I do that you would have liked seen done for you when you got here and felt like the only person in the room like you to make that not feel so rough? You know, I think, um, in general, like you have a lot of information. You seem to, you know, have really inquired and, gotten educated on a lot of the issues that the black community 
has to deal with, right? I think one of the major things that, not that we want special treatment, but we want to be acknowledged of our treatment. Mm. Just ask the black person, are you okay? Right. You know, we never get asked that question. It's almost as if we have the expectation that we um, can tolerate pain differently mm. or, 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 you know, have a more tolerance for pain or more tolerance for marginalization or, you know, but it, it's hurtful, mm. you know, and it's impactful. So I don't know, just uh, basically just ask the person, are you okay? You know, is there anything I can do? Awesome. You have anything else to add, Bill? No. no. I appreciate you coming on. Thank I, you, uh, Billy. This has been awesome. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's good to see you. Yeah, you too. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week. And uh, if you have any comments or any input or experience that you'd like to share, please feel free. You know, you find us wherever social media exists, recovery sort of. And we will see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with people you think might benefit from the conversation. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation also and share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear it. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause.